we have been in this series called I Will, where we have been discussing the promises of God. And last week I made a statement. I said, every I will from God should inspire an I will from us. Let me say that again because I want you to catch this. Every promise of God, every I will of God should lead to us being inspired to also give back to Him an I will. Because you gave, I give. Because you loved, I love. Because you serve, I serve. Come on, somebody. Because of anything that God has done for me, because I'm so humbled and honored by the fact that he would take the time to do that, I don't want to hold on to it. I want to hand it off to the next person. I don't want to just hoard it to myself. I want it to do what it's supposed to do in me so that I can share and that same I will that I receive from God would influence the next person and the next person and the next person. So it's really important that the people of God engage in the promises of God. It's really important that we as God's people Pursue Him and His presence. Learn His promises. Lean on those promises. Hey, this weekend, this coming weekend, we have one of uh, our favorite things that we do. Our marriage conference coming up. And if, if you haven't signed up for that, then I want to encourage you today, before you leave this church, ask one of our staff members, how can I sign up for the marriage conference? I want to come. You don't even have to bring your spouse with you if they can't make it. Because we have a lot that come and they're, they're like, man, I, my husband works offshore or, or my wife's going to be out of town. And we're like, it's okay. Come and receive and then take it back home and actually implement it. You can be in the transition. Maybe you are, are almost married or newly married. Maybe you've been married for a long time. Maybe you were married at one time. I can promise you if you sign up and you attend this conference, then it will be worth your time. I can promise you that it will be worth your investment. And please, 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 I probably shouldn't even say this. I may get in trouble. We're going to close this by Thursday. But if finances are the reason that you're not attending this conference, then please call our office and let us know. Because we have a lot of people in this church that give and would love to invest in you and your marriage and your family as we move forward. Exodus chapter 6. We have been discussing pursuing God, engaging in His presence, and embracing His promises. In Exodus chapter 6, we see four core promises from God. Four core promises from God that He has been giving to His people since the book of Exodus, and He will continue to give all the way through the New Testament and into the book of Revelation. Here are these four promises. They are four I will statements from God. In verse 6 of Exodus chapter 6, and I'm reading from the NIV in this passage, Therefore, say to the Israelites, okay, understand that anytime that you see the Israelites in the Old Testament, that's just a reference to God's people. And in Christ, in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, we are joint heirs in the promise of Abraham. We are joint heirs with Jesus. We are God's people, okay? So say to God's people, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. In other words, God's saying, I will save you. I will save you from sin, from shame, from the slavery that that causes in your life. I will save you. Paul references this passage where, where Christ, he, he saves us from the slavery of sin. So right now, we are free from sin and a slave to righteousness. Outside of Christ, we were free from righteousness. We were stuck in our own stuff. But in Christ, 
We are free from that sin and we trade the yoke. That's why Jesus said, listen, my yoke is easy. My burden is light because I'm going to take the yoke. And, and just in case you were like me and, and you were at one point really confused about what exactly a yoke was, a yoke is just something that they would have put on the animals and the, the yoke would have the pressure of the cart or the plow, the rope tied to that yoke, and that animal would have to pull that yoke. And, and the Egyptians and the Israelites and the people in Jesus's day would understand this terminology that that yoke is heavy and it's hard to plow the field when you're pulling the yoke by yourself. But Jesus said, hey, I'm going to take that old heavy yoke, that sin, that shame, all those places where you feel like you're stuck and you can't plow another foot. I'm going to take that yoke off and I'm going to give you a different yoke. I'm going to give you the yoke of being a slave to righteousness for my name's sake. I'm going to give you the yoke of being saved saved and set free. I don't love Jesus because he's my best friend or he's made my life better. I love Jesus because I know who I would be if it weren't for him. I know who they would be if it weren't for him. I love him because he saved my soul from eternal separation from God. It is an I will from God and his I will should inspire an I will in me and we're going to get to that here in just a minute. I will I'm not just going to save you. I'm going to set you free. I will free you from being slaves. I'm not just going to take you out of Egypt. I'm going to take Egypt out of you. I'm not just going to take you out of all the areas where you continue to stumble and fall short. I'm going to take those areas out of you. If you'll pursue me and my righteousness, my name, then I will remove and replace. I'm going to free you from being a slave. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. So God is reaching out and redeeming, giving us a new purpose, not just allowing us to be free from sin, saved by grace, but now he's redeeming us. He is recreating us in his image and likeness For the purpose that he had for us. We make ourselves delicate before him. We delight in him. It's our number one core value as an office staff. We delight ourselves in the Lord. Why? Because we understand that the only way to lead as he wants to go is for us to soften ourselves and follow him there. When we delight in him, he gives us the desires. He redeems our desires. And we begin to do what he's called us to do, not what he's called us out of. With an outstretched arm. That's for somebody, by the way. It just, the, the Holy Spirit just stopped me right there. Because some people get really frustrated in their Christian walk. And that's because they're still trying to stop doing the things that God has already set them free from. God's ready for you to take the next step. He's ready to redeem you. He's ready to give you a new purpose for life. Not just making you stop doing the things that were causing you shame and guilt and unforgiveness and bitterness but to put a new thing in you, to put a new desire in you so that you will not just stop doing things, but you will start doing something new. I don't know who that's for, but if it's for you, you need to receive it today and pursue him and let him show you what it is. Did you know that 87% of the body of Christ, if you were to ask them, what is your purpose? What is your purpose in life? 87% of the body of Christ cannot answer that question. 87% of people who believe in God cannot give you the answer to what is your purpose? Why did God save you? Why did he set you free? What is he redeeming you for? 87% of the body of Christ, believers in Christ, Can't answer that question. Could you imagine if we had an 87% dysfunctional rate in our body? Like if all of a sudden 87% of my body didn't know what in the world it was supposed to do. 87%. My hands started trying to talk. My ears started trying to walk. Come on, somebody. Just 
moving around. If, if 87% of my body does not understand its purpose, then I'm going to operate in some dysfunction. Listen, you need to discover your purpose. Discover your place in the body of Christ. Discover your place in the plan of God and then fulfill it as he leads you to. Verse 7 says, I will take you. I'm not just going to save you and set you free and give you a new purpose. I'm going to use you to do the same thing in somebody else. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And then you will. You will. Because every I will from God inspires an I will from us. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, that yoke of slavery. You discover a new purpose, and, and we, call it, we call it impacting eternity. Whether you're shaking a hand at the door or making coffee in the back or whether you're like one of my favorite people who sit in this room over here on the side by himself with a set of headphones and, and EQs our sound online so that it sounds like what it's supposed to through Facebook. Do you know we had somebody that does that? Every week we have three sound people. Every week we have a camera operator, a computer operator, a light operator, a presentation operator. Every week we have 40 people in this sanctuary alone. And every week we have 40-something people in this sanctuary, just this sanctuary, who are running and doing and, and serving and, and, and fulfilling their purpose in God's plan that day. Why? So that one person can receive salvation before we leave the house of God. So that one more can know who he is. We've got 220 people serving throughout Sundays at this church. We've got 35 people in Next Steps about to accomplish the third step and find their place, find their team leader, and get plugged in so that we can go to three services, expand this congregation to another 150 people that will expand this community and God's kingdom into another 1,500. Come on, somebody. Do you understand that when you receive salvation, get set free, discover your purpose, and impact eternity, you actually begin to achieve God's promises. But we have a holdup. I know that was exciting. But we have a problem. I have noticed in the church a struggle. Not just this church, and, and actually not even extremely prevalent in this church. Overall, I have noticed... This struggle in differentiating, if you will. The difference between accepting someone for who they are or where they are and approving of their lifestyle. Those two things, and I'm going to talk for about the next 15 minutes about the two ends of this spectrum. If you're going through Freedom Group, we would call this the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And by the way, God said, don't eat from that tree. You can eat from any other tree in the garden, but when you eat from this one, you're going to go into a place of no return outside of me. This accepting people. So we have this grace, 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 grace. We have this tolerance mentality that anything should go anywhere. And it's an atrocity to the kingdom of God. And then over here is this truth, 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 truth. And this, there's this pastor that was telling a story of this lady in his church. And she would just go up to people and just say stuff. Come on, you know who I'm talking about. Sister super spiritual. I mean, just if she knew something was going on, she'd just go up and say it. She'd just let them know. Now, I've been, to, you need to, and then if you don't, then you should have. And he had to call her in. He said, hey, sister super spiritual, triple S, what's going on? What is your deal? Why are you doing this to people? This is not how we win people to God's kingdom. You're pushing people out of the church. You're pushing them away from God's will. And that lady said, well, wouldn't you rather me tell them the truth? And he said, no, I'd rather you shut up and be nice. <laughs> We're not talking about tolerance, okay? 
We're not talking about approving of something that we know Jesus died on the cross for. There's got to be something. There's got to be a balance in the middle between this tree of knowledge of good and knowledge of evil. Where Jesus is. In that life that he came to offer. The tree of life. It's, it's that calling of repentance without casting of rejection. That's important. Because you can call someone to repentance without casting the stone of rejection at them in the meantime. In fact, Paul wrote in the book of Romans, it's the kindness of God that led to repentance. It's the love of God that causes someone to realize that they need help. In just a few weekends, we have Mardi Gras. I'm going there. It's my third year. And listen, we are deciding to see Mardi Gras as an opportunity and not just an offense. It doesn't mean that there are not some offensive things that may take place. But we have decided to take advantage of an opportunity instead of just seeing it as an offense. Now listen, here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we're going to go and engage in the opportunity, okay? Because there's a difference. And you're going to hear that here in just a second. In fact, on the table back in the back, we have several opportunities of how we can serve this community through a cultural and community event that this place celebrates and celebrates big. Mardi Gras. You can sign up and buy, fun, uh, not funnel cake, king cakes. I'm not in Arkansas. We ain't buying no funnel cake, nasty things. <laughs> king cakes. Because we do things right down here. Arkansas is a king cake. You can help make king cakes for Pastor West and the student ministry. And every dime that we make, you know what we're going to do with all the money from all the drunk people at Mardi Gras? We're going to send it. Come on, somebody. I like taking drunk people's money. We're going to send it. We're going to send it to the other side of the world to help reach unreached people groups with the gospel of Jesus Christ. How cool is that? So sign up in a time slot. Go serve that tent. Help them sell king cakes. Help them make king cakes. Sign up and buy some and, and give them out to people. Tell them, hey, for the sake of the gospel, I brought you this heart attack. <laughs> Just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. And then that Sunday afternoon, remember, because, because this is an opportunity and it's going to happen whether you like it or not. Okay? It's happening. So instead of sitting in our holy huddle and being sister super spiritual, we decided to look for opportunities to serve our community. And one of those opportunities is by us going down at 2.30 to the recreational department, the fields down here, as all the kids are coming back from that kids parade. And all those parents have trash and all kinds of stuff. And we're going to clean up that park. All we do is go out there with juices and water bottles and some trash cans. And we just love people. We give them a little God loves you card. And we take all their trash and we fill up our dumpster and their dumpster so the city doesn't have to go back out the next day and do it. And all those people can throw all their trash in our trash bags Sunday afternoon at 2.30 that weekend. And we just say, hey, they're like, why are you doing this? What are you doing here? So we just, we just want to help you clean up. Come on, somebody. That's prophetic, by the way. <laughs> we just want to help you clean up. I am not. I need you to lean in here with me for a second, okay? Because if not, you're going to mishear me. And you're, you're going to assume that I said something that I didn't say. I am not personally against family-friendly activities. In other words, if you want to cook a giant pig and I invite my family to come eat it with you, then I will boucherie all over the place. I'll go with you. Okay? But if you want me to put on a mask and revel and drink and party and play, then you would be offended. You would be offended if I did that. In other words... 
If you saw me as your pastor, and don't you dare hold me to a higher accountability than you hold yourself, because we will all stand before the same God. Well, the Bible says that, that you are called to a higher account. No, no, no. The Bible says that because of my leadership, I will be judged more harshly. doesn't mean that you won't be judged. It just means that I take more people down with me if I screw it up. doesn't mean that you don't take somebody down with you. Now, I'm not against family-friendly activities. I'm not. I'm going to be out there. I'm going to support our city, our economy. But I'll tell you where I'm not going to be on Tuesday night. I'm not going to be in the midst unless I've got a how can I pray for you t-shirt on and I'm ministering to people. I am not for, hear me, willfully continuing in a sin that Jesus has already paid for. Willful, hear me, willful continuation in a sin on one day. And knowing that you're going to go back and ask forgiveness for it on the next day is not repentance. It's not repentance. Hebrews 10.26 says, if you willfully continue in your sin, if you trample underfoot the Son of God again, there no longer remains a sacrifice left for you. That means that if I willfully, like a dog, return to my vomit and continue willfully. Listen, I'm not talking about stumbling and struggling. That's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about willful rebellion justified by asking and apologizing the next day. I'm talking about willfully engaging in something The Bible says if that's how you're going to live your life, if that's your attitude, then you have trampled underfoot the best that heaven has to offer for our lives. But guess what? If that's your attitude, Jesus says, if you'll just come to me, I'm an advocate for that. I'm an advocate for those who have a bad attitude. I don't want you to stay that way. I want to help you. It doesn't mean that if you sin, there no longer remain. You can't ask for forgiveness. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if you will make yourself delicate before God, then he can begin to hone your heart in. And I believe Jesus laid this on my heart this morning. I want to encourage some of you to one day Truly give your life to Jesus. I hope that day is today. To truly give your heart to Jesus and listen and stop taking it back because of a community cultural celebration. Stop taking it back when you get around those certain people. Stop taking it back when what you want doesn't line up with what he has. No, 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 listen. Give your heart to Jesus. Give him your life and let him keep it. Because there, the promises of God are found. The life that Jesus has to offer. We must discern. We must discern what is culturally acceptable. What really is acceptable. What really is okay. And I could give you some examples, but some of you may disagree, and there's no point in me really even going there. Because I don't want your personal conviction to cause you to push somebody else away from the kingdom of God any more than I want a cultural event to cause you to not have personal conviction. Are you okay? I know that was a mouthful. I'll come back to it. But we've got to be able to discern the difference between something that is actually culturally acceptable, culturally acceptable, and something that is a biblical absolute, okay? Because there are some things that are biblical absolutes. So here's the two ends of the spectrum. Here is this tree of knowledge of good and knowledge of evil. And again, those freedom groups, by the way, guys, our freedom groups are meeting. We're meeting at four o'clock today. We have a business meeting at five. That gives us a whole hour. And last time I checked, most men don't need an hour to talk. Come on, somebody. Two ends of the spectrum. 
We have these two ends of the spectrum. Here's what we do. We go, ah, uh, it's okay. That preacher, that preacher, he don't, he doesn't understand. Or we become sister super spiritual. It's all evil. Shun the very appearance is what the word of God says. Now, now listen, the Bible does say shun the very appearance of evil. But you need to understand that in that context, that was being written to the church, not the city. It was when they were allowing things in their own lives that Paul was like, guys, listen, you're missing the mark here. You're pointing your finger at somebody else and not realizing all the sin in your own heart. You got all these issues that you're not identifying or dealing with yourself. Shun the very appearance. Here's what the other thing we do. Oh, it's harmless. It's harmless until a baby falls off of a parade wagon because the parents were not able to keep up with them. It's harmless until a horse tramples somebody because we've been mixing drinking and driving even though it's on horseback. And Do you see what I'm saying? There's all these examples, all these little things that you just don't know may or may not be worth it. Oh, it's all harmless. Or it'll all send you to hell in a hand basket. That's, that's what we do. We go, we're either here or we're here. And listen, the last time I checked, the only thing that Jesus was a radical about was reaching people that didn't know him, however he could. He was a radical. Well, I just want my kids to experience life. Yeah, you do want them to experience life. What you don't want them to experience is everything that this world has to offer. Well, you got to let them grow up sometime. No, you don't. That's stupid. They're going to grow up. They're going to. You don't have to let them. It's going to happen. It's our responsibility to train them in his ways, not expose them to darkness so they can see the difference. They're going to see it. It's going to happen. They're going to unintentionally walk in a room on a G-rated game on their 20-minute screen time one week and see S-H-I-T written across the wall. It's going to happen. You don't have to expose them to it before he shows them anyways. What you do is train them in his ways so that when they see the darkness, they recognize it and they don't keep walking to it. That's the difference. You show them life and life in abundance. Well, I'm not including mine in anything. Then they will rebel against you as soon as they get the chance. Because if you can't answer why, then what is irrelevant? We're not extremists. We are the reason. We are the solution. We are God's answer to a last day's generation of tolerance and entitlement. But we are also God's answer to a last day's generation of legalism and judgment. We can have customs in our culture. It does not mean that we can become callous to conviction. We can have customs. We can have traditions. We can, we can have activities and community celebrations. And I know Mardi Gras automatically represents some things to some people. And for some people, it is harmless. And for some people, it's hell. Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday, those two synonymous things and I'm not telling you how to feel. What I'm telling you is make sure you feel the right thing and you follow Jesus all the way through that weekend. We cannot become callous to conviction, but we also, hear me, we also can't become closet Christians that hide in our holy huddles whenever something happens that we don't like. So this is, here's the balance I'm not going to shun my conviction because of a community celebration, but I'm not going to shun my community because of my conviction. I'm going to be the light 
in the darkness. I'm going to be the example. Now listen, there's a difference, a big difference, and you need to ask God which one you're doing. Because there's a big difference between being an example in the darkness and engaging in the darkness. Some people go and engage in the darkness in the sinful activity or in the thing that Jesus died for, and they call it being a witness. They call it fitting in. They call it relevant. That's not relevant. That's rebellion. It is justification because hear me, what we do in moderation, the world will justify in excess. What I do as a leader with influence, as a believer, as a witness, whatever I do in my life, if you see me doing something in moderation, you don't know it's in moderation, you will justify your excess. And they do that same thing to you. So we don't shine our conviction on behalf of a community celebration, we don't shun our community on behalf of our conviction. Is Mardi Gras an opportunity or an offense? That's for you to answer. Am I an example in the darkness or am I engaging in the offense? Which one am I doing? Well, here's how I can answer this question. You may want to write this down. And you may want to, look, this thing goes way beyond. I'm just using this because it's coming up. And it's such a big deal here. It was becoming a big deal in North Louisiana as I was coming into my later high school years. It was like, hey, we could have these parades too. Hey, we can dress like crazy people and get on floats too. And, and I don't even mean, they weren't even wearing like weird stuff. It was like guys dressing like kings. And the, they do like the cruise, big deal. The big deal in North Louisiana is the cruise. They just, now they don't know how to tithe and give it an offering, but man, they'll spend $100,000 on a trailer. Oh, my bad. I went there. It's social Christianity, not eternal salvation. I, but that's another story for another day. Don't I don't know why we're not having any impact for the kingdom of God. Well, never mind. Okay, so that's what's happening up there. But down here, it's a big deal. But this is not just, this could be in reference to an LSU football game. Which is, by the way, if you're not careful, just as detrimental of an atmosphere to take your children into. <laughs> My ears learned words I had forgotten. <laughs> And, and when, uh, man, White, what's his first name? Boy, when that brother, Devin White, got thrown out of that game, oh, my Lord. Man, you'd have thought Lucifer had come up from the abyss in the form of a referee. I'm talking about lost their salvation, forgot that they even were in a culture that talked about Jesus. So here's the questions. You ready? Why am I going to this event? Why am I going? Look, you can do that with anything. You could do that going to DI's on a Saturday night. Why am I going? Can I dance with my babies and have a good time and innocence and clean fun? Or for me, does this represent something that I don't need to be a part of? Why am I going? What, hear me, what is the intent of my heart? And you better ask that question because that is where life is existing or ceasing. What is the intent of my heart? We don't lay down our conviction because of culture, but we also don't rebuke our culture because of conviction. Judgment starts in the house of God and high I am that house. So we have this internal conflict. What do we do? Because, because, hear me, because we're called to reach the lost, right? We're called to be the light in the darkness and, and minister to the not yet insider. Okay? But then over here, we know that the scripture says bad company corrupts good morals. Well, Reach the lost or bad company corrupts good morals. Listen, this is again where you're getting stuck in the wrong tree. 
You're getting stuck in your knowledge of good and evil. Reach the lost, good. Bad company corrupts good morals. Evil, what do I do? Judge the intent of your heart. Ask the hard question. What is my intent in this relationship? What is my intent? Why am I going in this direction? Why do I like this person? Why do I like this place? Is it innocent or is it offensive? And you need to answer that. And I can't give you personal conviction. And I can't make you have mine. I can give you biblical absolute. But personal conviction is original to the individual. Are you okay? Does that make sense? That means that sometimes some people have higher convictions in areas that they're supposed to individually have higher convictions in because conviction is original to individuals. Because some of you need higher boundaries and bigger fences than others do. Hi, I'm Chris. I need bigger walls than my wife does. Why? Because she's sweeter than I am. It's just, it's just the way that it is. It doesn't mean that she has to have my personal conviction. It means that because I want to be right with God and with her, I'm willing to let her hold me accountable to the convictions that I had formerly communicated to her. And they're mine. So what do we do? Because look, look hear me. I understand that this is, this is not like, hey, grow your church real big kind of material. Okay? But, and I said, I believe it's God's will for us to have a big church. Because, because numbers represent individuals which, which represent people who are headed to hell or heaven. So that's a big deal to me. Because I, I don't want to be a, a, a mile wide and an inch deep, okay? Any more than I want to be a mile deep and an inch wide. Because I don't believe that I serve a God that is subject to one or the other. I believe that I serve a God that with men, there are things that are impossible, but in Him, all things are possible. Okay, so hear me. I don't want to be a puddle. Catch this. I don't want to be a puddle. A puddle. Because a puddle dries up. Okay? And, and we've got a lot of Christian puddles. Depending on what time of the year it is. Depending on what season the church is in. Christian puddles. If it's raining, oh yeah! Glory to the Lord! On the, I'm a puddle. I overflow. Of course you overflow. You don't have any depth. Every time it pours a little bit of rain, you're about to drown because you're a puddle. Two weeks, you're dried up. You want to stop giving your life to Jesus over and over again? Stop taking it back every time the rain stops coming. Start being able to last through the dry season. I'm not interested at building a big church if I'm not building disciples whose faith in God goes deeper than a puddle. Because I want to be an ocean. Puddles dry up. Come on. But oceans feed other sources. Oceans overflow. And they have water in them when everything else is in a drought. They have water in them when everybody else is all dried up. When everybody else is trying to recover, the ocean is still full and satisfied. It feeds the river, which feeds the lake, which feeds the pond, which feeds all the puddles. I want to be a river. So what do we do? Colossians 3.17 holds our answer. This is the answer to our dilemma. This one scripture. You want to learn a scripture this week? Colossians 3.17. And many of you know it, you've heard it, but sometimes we go, oh, well, that applies to everything except for, but Paul wanted the church, the church to know, the church, the Colossians, whatever you do or say. 
Because James had written, let not blessing and cursing come from the same mouth. These things should not be. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it unto God. Don't lay down your conviction. Don't rebuke your community. Because you can stand as a light in the darkness and never have to say a word if you've got the light in you. When we show Jesus, it helps others know Jesus. The only people that that would hide in their homes are the people that don't understand how much influence they have. When we show Jesus, it helps other people know Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, I have decided to know nothing. Like, nothing else is even relevant to me. And Paul knew a lot of stuff, by the way. Paul was not one of the disciples that were uneducated, uninfluential. In fact, Paul would hate your best life now because Paul had a really good life before he met Jesus. So for all the preachers that only preach, I'm not saying that God doesn't have a plan for you and your family, plans to bless you and give you hope and a future. I believe that. But for all the preachers who only preach the better life, hashtag your best life now, I believe Paul would be a little bit offended by that because Paul had position and influence and riches with the Romans and the Jews. By the way, those were the two ruling entities in his age, and he had influence with both. But when he met Jesus, he was willing to lay it all down. He took his education. He said, doesn't mean anything to me. It's not the education isn't important. Don't you go to school next week? Be like, wow, pastor said, I had not learn nothing. Just know Jesus. Staying home all day, mama. Going to get to know the Lord. <laughs> no, 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 no. I've decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. See, our first step, our first step in our mission here at this church, and we have four. They're based on the I will statements from the book of Exodus chapter six. We have four. The first one is to know Jesus. Find freedom, discover purpose, and impact eternity. But listen, you can forget finding freedom discovering purpose and impacting eternity if you don't know him if you're not knowing him i love amber's story amber helps us lead worship she's been she and josh have been such a blessing to this church they've been a, an absolute godsend to this house we even we even put her on staff uh part-time and hopefully we get to hang on to her for for full-time a long time uh but right now she's serving in the office with us and helping us out and and she shared a story in our staff meeting last week that i thought was just a beautiful illustration of what i'm trying to communicate today she worked for a family of a different ethnicity it was an indian family and, and they had a different religion I don't even remember right now whether it was Hindu or or Buddhism or Islam. I I don't remember what it was, but they had a different religion, and they had Amber come with them to watch their children. She didn't understand what she was going to. She didn't go there on purpose, but she realized that she was in the midst holding a child and taking care of these other children. She was in the midst of some what we would probably refer to as idolatry, some idol worship. Listen, there's some idolatry that's going to happen in our community. There there is some that's going to happen. And you need to be able to identify it when you're in the midst of it. So Amber threw that kid down and started screaming at all those people, no. (laughs) It's not what she did. You know what she did? She said, Jesus, what do I do? What do I do? So she started praying over that baby. (laughs) <laughs> they messed up. 
You don't give the light a baby to pray over. She walked around with that baby. She started meeting people to meet people and grow closer to God together. It's a thing. Anyway, she started meeting people and just sharing her faith, just being a witness, being the light in the darkness. She could have made a big scene, but instead of making a big scene, she made a small impact that caused a ripple effect. Jesus' desire is for us to know him. Why? Because in him we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. Only those who do the Father's will. Jump down to John chapter 6, verse 40 with me. Only those who do the Father's will. You remember in Matthew chapter 7, um, there were some disciples talking to Jesus and and and. And one of them, there's this passage that, that Jesus refers and he says, they say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and, and, and perform miracle, many miracles, maybe even lead some other people to you? Did, did you we, we did all those things, Jesus. Well, before that passage, Jesus says, listen, there's only one way to inherit my Father's kingdom. Only one. There's only one way to inherit my Father's kingdom. If you do the will of my Father you shall inherit his kingdom. Well, well that, that begs the question, what is God's will? What's God's will for my life? Well, fortunately, John, the one who loved Jesus the most, the beloved, John the Beloved, because of his intimacy with Jesus, always gives us insight. By the way, the only way for you to sing holy, holy, holy as the angels sing is for you to know the king the way that they know him. When you do that, their holiness will absorb you, saturate you, and you will begin to sing that song in a way that you didn't even know you could sing it. John writes in verse 40 of chapter 6, the words of Jesus This is the will of him who sent me. Remember, Jesus said, only those who do the will of my Father shall inherit the kingdom of God. So so then, it's important for us to know what that is. It's not subject to a community event. It's not subject to a day. It's not subject to a revival or a fasting or a prayer time. It's subject to you doing what? That this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. That's God's will for you, is to have life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Well, I'm gonna flip these around in second service. Go back up to John chapter 17. If, If God's will is for me to have eternal life, then what in the world is eternal life? You ready? This is important. Because if you catch this, you'll stop asking Jesus into your heart and taking it back away from him. You'll stop giving your life to Jesus and pulling it back at certain times of the year. John 17, if eternal life is the essence, what is eternal life? Well, John wrote it down. This is eternal life. What? That they may know you, the only true God and... Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. God has one will for your life, and it's not subject to football season or Mardi Gras or summer vacation or Halloween. It is subject to the fact that he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross because there is no one righteous, no not run, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is that you would have the ability to know His Son personally every day of your life in every aspect. Last quote. I'm not asking you if you know of Jesus. Hear me. Hear me. Listen. This is important. I'm not asking you if you know of Jesus. I'm asking do you know Him? Do you know Him? Dr. Ravi Zacharias, I love this guy. Uh, I believe he's Indian as well. It's cool how that kind of whole thing went together. Philosopher, incredible man of God, travels all over the world. Dr. Ravi Zacharias said this. 
if you do know Jesus, if you do know Jesus, then you should take him seriously. If you do know him, you should take him seriously. Then he says, repent. Turn to God, turn away from your past, repent of your past, walk a new trail ahead, and honor him. If you know him, you better take him seriously in every aspect of your life. Let's pray. Father, right now, I pray that you would help us to identify where we are in our walk with you, where we are in our knowledge of you. Listen, if you know Jesus, like if you're confident in who you are in Christ, praise God. We believe in eternal security here. We just believe it's based on the condition that you receive salvation and remain in Christ. But if you know him, then I want you to ask yourself this question. No matter where you are, how am I getting to know him better? If I'm confident that I'm a child of God, that I'm saved, that I'm headed to heaven, how do I get to know him better? Because surely I have not arrived. If Paul didn't, then we haven't. How do I get to know him better? And then here's the second question. This is even more important for some of you. Who am I helping to get to know him? Who is getting to know Jesus because of me? Who am I discipling? Every head bowed, every eye closed, this is for you. See, we believe in the commandments of God. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The last command, the first commandment Jesus ever gave was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. What was the last one? To go. The last thing that Jesus told us to do, the last commandment was to go. And we can't claim that we know him the way that he wants us to know him if we're only loving him the way that we want to and we're not helping somebody else get to know him the way that he wants to get to know them. So how are you growing closer to God? How are you getting to know him better? Evaluate it. Write down some ways that you could do it. And who? Once you pray right there, Lord, send me one person. Send me one person that I could help to get to know you. Send me one that I could invest in for this year, that I could bring to Easter, that I could invite to church, that I could do life with. Send me just one. Now, church, I need you to pray. If you're in the room right now and you have never received salvation or maybe you have drifted away from your relationship with God, There was a time in your life where you gave your heart to Jesus, you gave your life to Jesus, but for whatever reason, you have taken it back. And you know that you have not been living for him. Maybe somebody in the room, you need to receive.